right? What many people experience through the unbound process is they finally open up in a way that maybe they haven't before, right? And they experience being loved and accepted in the midst of that. Sometimes they experience God's peace, his presence, his kindness, the lightness, all those kind of things. The reason we experience that is because we've lived that way. We've done that. Right? Now the question is, can we stay there? I had a tattoo shop for several years, and while it was my tattoo shop, it was still a tattoo shop. Right? And there was things there that weren't always healthy, holy, or whatever. I left there for two years and went to Focus, which was like purgatory for me. And I'm, the, the longer I'm away from it, the more grateful I am for it and all that it did for me. But it was very purging for me. It was very difficult because it was a whole, I mean, the other missionaries are about 10 years younger than me. All my peers were regional directors, but I was treated like a dingy college graduate. I'd done things in life. It just was not a fit, let's say. But what was different there? was the majority of people there's life experience was not my own. At my job, it was like pulling teeth to get people to do what they were supposed to do. Like out in any business, the employees were the most difficult part, right? There, my teammates, team director would be like, hey, go do this. Without a question, boop, they go do it. Like they're generally speaking, well-rounded, healthy people who just did what they're supposed to do and were productive members of society and life and humanly pretty good, right? They were very different. We had our first baby there, Thaddeus. My wife got pregnant there first, I think it was the first year. And uh, I remember being so nervous telling them, right? Because where I came from, abortion and things like that were like a bad night out, that's what you did. You got the morning after pills, she went in, like whatever. It was just a normal part of life, right? And people weren't happy for you when good things came. I just ran to somebody the other day. I went to the gas station, I think it was, and said something about, you know, doing something for a few hours and kids came up or whatever. I asked how many I had and I said four, you know, which in the Catholic world is like, yeah, you ain't even getting started yet, man, yeah. you know? Out there, it's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Why did you do that? Don't, you, you know there's birth control, right? Right? Like, that's the world. That's how it is out there. Well, she gets pregnant. I remember going down the lower JP2 hall at the old Newman Center, and I was so nervous to tell them. I was so nervous. Because here was a good thing. And I didn't really even know how to feel about it. I was kind of excited. I was kind of not because I didn't know about me being a dad and all that kind of stuff. But what Focus did, what this two-year environment did for me was create a space where I could come out, where I didn't have to be as hard as I had been before. It was a safe environment. I remember telling them being paranoid and they were like jumping up and down, almost peeing on themselves. They were so excited. Like they taught me how to be happy about things like that. They taught me what good things were, right? So this two years comes, I get a new spiritual director right at the end of that two years. And when I left, you know what the question was? How is Matt going to stay open when he goes back to his tattoo shop? How do I not harden back up? How do I not shut back down? Because let me tell you, being a Christian outwardly and openly in the tattoo world, no. I got made fun of by every shop in town. I got made fun of by the guys in my own shop. Not too much because they would have got fired, but enough, <laughs> right? Like, how was I going to do that? And this is what staying free is about. Once we get this place of freedom, how do we respond to it? How do we nurture it, take care of it? We're all the bride and he puts this divine life in us. With each one of my wife's pregnancies, she changed. I remember the day she became a mom. It was the day she realized she was pregnant and knew it. Boop, she completely changed in somebody else. So did I. All of a sudden, I like cared for her in a whole different way. Like, are you, do you need to walk? Are you okay? Oh, right? Like, Jesus talks about the pearl of great price. 
Do we protect it? Do we nurture it? This is what this divine life we've been given is. And it's even more important than the baby, each one of those babies that she's carried. But many people don't even take care of their divine life even remotely like they would this new life that's actually within them, this natural life. So when we experience this, that's our part, that's our responsibility. Remember how last night, I don't have the page up here. It said that we are in control. We can give our freedom to Satan. Do we want to maintain this divine life we have, this peace, this joy, or do we want to abort it? We're in control. We can cut it off. We can get rid of it. We can give it away. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They were given this entire world to steward and they gave it to Satan. There you go. What do we want to do with that? Well, Satan has a plan for our life just as God does. He wants to destroy every bit of divine life, hope, peace, joy, communion, intimacy that we have in our lives. He wants to break it down. He wants it gone. He wants us isolated and alone and miserable and hopefully dead if he can make that happen. That's what he wants. Paul in Romans 8, I would highly recommend looking at that. He charges us with putting to death the flesh. We put to death the flesh. We put to death our inclinations for things that are not holy. We do. It's not something God does for us. That's our part, our responsibility. When I notice things come up in me or around me that are contrary to the freedom I have, I have to bring it to the Lord. Maybe there's something I need to change. Maybe I need to change a relationship I'm in. Maybe I need to change habits and patterns. Maybe I need to get rid of some things in my life. Maybe I need to adjust those things to nurture this. Right? I know for me, like I can't have anything and it kind of stinks. I can't have sugar, man. It's like a narcotic for me. I'll be like, oh. Right? If I want to do my job and not be completely fogged out and hung over, and that's what it feels like is a hangover from alcohol, I can't eat a bunch of sweets. I can't have cake. I can't have those things and still pay attention to this divine life I've been given. That's just me. Can't have a lot of things like that because it makes me inattentive. It changes me biologically. It affects me. I can't have a bunch of noise. I can't constantly be going 100 miles an hour every day. I'm not like other people. I can't go 90 miles an hour. I need quiet. I have noise-canceling headphones with me all the time. They're actually in the car. They're not with me now because we're in a retreat center. Because I get overwhelmed by stimuli and noise and stuff. Like I've had to figure these things out about myself that I need to do to take care of this. I can't play around in depressing music. I grew up in the 90s. I'm depressed. Late 80s and 90s, depressed. Right? Like, I, there, there's things I have to cut out because it creates an environment that is not good for this divine life I've been given. It takes my thinking other places. I don't maintain custody of this. And this is where the battle actually is. It's right between our ears. It's right here. It's in the mind. It's in mind. And we're going to be tested. We're going to enter into a battle. When we are made Christians, when we are pulled out of Satan's world into the kingdom of God, through baptism, when we receive the divine life, the Holy Spirit into us, when we get marked and anointed sons and daughters, which can never be taken away, we are entered into the battle. Every person is in the battle. It's just we've been pulled out and put here. And once we've been put here in this kingdom, then it's on. See, Satan doesn't mess with people who are already going down the wrong path. 
just gives them little pats on the butt to keep going. Right? St. Ignatius of Loyola is really clear on this. The person who's moving from sin to sin to sin to sin, Satan is encouraging. Right? He's encouraging. Come on, yeah, let's go. God is pricking the conscience. But for the person who actually is moving towards God, has had a real conversion, it flip-flops. Completely flip-flops. Some of the holiest people struggle with some of the most self-condemnation and self-accusation. Like, if you weren't holy, you wouldn't care. You wouldn't care if you sinned. You wouldn't care if you did X, Y, and Z. If you weren't changed. If you weren't different. And the battle is that tension that comes when the thoughts start to come of how bad you really are and how much you really aren't good. And you did this and you're going to go backwards and see all this stuff from your past. And God knows he ain't going to come through in the future. He didn't back then. And The only reason that's even there or affects you is because you're different. If you weren't, you wouldn't hear any of that. You just keep going down the drain. Right? When you have a tension between the things of the world and the things of God, and maybe you're engaging in certain things that are uncomfortable in some way, they may not be bad in and of themselves or anything like that, but there's a tension there. That tension has to be looked at because there's something happening there. There's movement happening there. What's God doing? So we have to enter into this battle. God's plan is way bigger. Remember last time we talked about our narrative gets taken up into this bigger narrative. There's a wider story there. There's something we're a part of. What Jesus did was he came to reclaim this world, the second Adam, the new Adam, to take it back because the first Adam gave it away. So here God enters into this world that was absent of, he enters into creation by becoming creation, coming into it, incarnation, right? And through his death, he takes it back. Because when Jesus died, the reason he rose from the dead is because he never sinned. The wages of sin is death. He never sinned, therefore death could not hold him. The spirit was never driven from his body and he was resurrected. God resurrected him from the dead. And from that moment on, Humanity and divinity are permanently wed together, permanently. So God permeates everything now. He's everywhere present. He fills all things. He can be in bread and water and father and you and me, right? This is what he came to take back. And so we're in that now. His plan is much bigger than ours, and he's already won. The whole thing is over. The question is, is do we receive it? Do we receive this love, this forgiveness, this freedom, and stay with it and live there the rest of our lives? Do we stay put? Satan tested Jesus' identity in the desert, and our identity will be tested too. This is what it's all about. Attacks against our identity and our purpose. Attacks against it. When Jesus came up from the water, this is my beloved son with whom you're well pleased. Then he immediately goes out in the desert. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God. That's where the question comes. What does Jesus do? He responds as a son of God. And so we need to put on his mind now in order to do so. Because here's the thing, and this is one of the biggest lies of Satan. Oh, I have to sin tomorrow. I did it today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. No, you don't have to. Read in the Catechism on Grace and Justification. I believe it's paragraph 2000. 
where he says, or the catechism says, the justification gives us a supernatural disposition, a whole new way of being, an empowerment to fulfill the commandments of God. This is something we don't talk about. Like with the God dwelling in us, we have a whole new disposition and power. Like I have the power not to willfully sin, not to choose to sin. Now I may react to something. That's something different. Somebody stubs my toe and I'm like, like that's different than somebody stubs my toe. I look at them and I'm like, yeah, never mind, you know, and choose to do it. We can actually not choose to do it anymore. How many of us don't believe that? Well, I'm just going to be back here next week for the same thing. Yeah, because you don't believe you won't. You don't believe you can't. You don't believe you, God can actually and has done this for you. These are the truths that set us free. Right? These are the truths. He tests his identity in the wilderness. Success in the battle requires that we know that there's a battle, know that there's an enemy, know where the battle is, know the weapons and tactics of the enemy, and know that the battle could come at any time. I'll tell you one clear way to know that it's not depression or anxiety or anything like that. If it comes out of nowhere without much of a preceding cause, there's a good chance it's the evil one. I've had this happen before where I'm driving down the road and a thought occurs to me and I've been having a peaceful day and I'm listening to music and it's great. And all of a sudden I'm like beating somebody up in my mind because it just dink. That's part of the battle. Like there's no legit reason for me to be rolling down the street and being upset. Life is good. Nothing's happening. Everything's fine. It's right here. It's in those thoughts. It's in the other day when dinner happens and my food's not there. The temptation to think old thoughts, something bad about this person who loves me deeply. That's the battle. It's always in the thoughts. This is one of the problems we have with modern therapy and those kind of things. This is one of the reasons people don't find the actual healing that they want frequently. They get management tactics. If you really think about it, a lot of times they get tactics, they get strategies to manage things, but they don't necessarily actually find the healing and freedom all the time. It happens. The people I get are the ones who've been through that and it just doesn't happen. They're still struggling five years later with the same stuff they were going through, right? It's usually because there's something else involved. I watched my mother decline in mental illness for 25 years. There's a spiritual element to it. It's never just chemicals. They don't even have tests to show if it's chemicals. It's a theory outside of hormones and a few other things like that, right? There's a spiritual element involved here. But the thing is, is the more we engage in that, the more we engage in the negativity and the negative thoughts and all that kind of stuff, our brains start to hardwire differently. We get neurons that, that order us that direction. This is why a habit is difficult to build 30 days. They say, because that's how long it takes to build new neurons in another direction, new pathways to where the biology actually wants to move in this direction. So when we get lost in negativity and depression and anxiety and sadness and those habits that take us down the drain, our body follows that. That's why it's so hard to get out. Right? We have to stop using those neuropathways and start building new ones. And it takes time for those to die. 
We're an interdependent creature. There's spirit, there's mind, there's body. It all comes together, right? But Satan knows that. If he just gets us to move in certain directions, our whole being will start to conform to that. So the battle can come at any time. When the battle comes, respond as a growing child of God. This is the important thing. When I enter into my life, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. And anything that comes at me to militate against that, I need to reject. I'll tell you one of the biggest things in our culture that does is, oh, you're a thief. No, you're a person who stole something. The bad thing we did becomes our identity. You're a murderer. You're a liar. I could walk over and harm father today, kill him. That doesn't make me a murderer. That makes me a son of God who just murdered somebody. You're depressed. You're this, you're mentally ill. You're this, you're that, you're the other. These ideas keep us locked in to a pattern and an identity which isn't to say we don't acknowledge the problems we have. We have to truthfully acknowledge the things that there are. I have diabetes, I have cancer, I have depression, I have whatever, right? But the moment it defines who we are is the moment we are crippled. The only thing that defines who we are is God saying, you are good and you're my son or my daughter. That's it because God is bigger than any physical illness, mental illness, or anything else out there. And he can and does desire to change people. Refuse to be discouraged. Discouragement is always something of the evil one. It's one of the prime things he uses to slow us down and to keep us from moving. So example, when I, my first Unbound session, I had just got done making the 30-day Ignatian retreat in daily life. So nine months of prayer, an hour a day, spiritual direction once a week. And it was amazing. And I had a lot of healing. And I went to this Unbound session like three weeks later after I was done, because the Lord brought me there through a bunch of different things. And I'm like, I went to him and I was legit like, look, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I don't know. <laughs> like I just went through a long period of healing and I feel good. I don't know. So what do you got, bud? <laughs> you know, he sat there for a minute and he's like, rebellion comes to mind. It's like, well, imagine that, right? I've been rebellious all my life. My wife still tells me I'm rebellious, right? So we pray. He comes up with some different things. And I left and kind of felt the presence of God a little bit, you know, a little bit of peace, nothing, definitely nothing cataclysmic or anything else. Then from there, that was a Saturday. I left there probably 11 or 12 in the morning. And I just started to feel worse and worse as the day progressed. And Sunday we got up, we went to church and I was just feeling not real good interiorly. I was like, Hey, I need to go pray for a little bit. And she's like, please do just go. So I went to the park, went to Holmes Lake where I love to go, sat there in my car and paused and prayed. It's like, what's happening here? Like, I don't understand. Immediately, I was brought back to a memory. When I was in eighth grade, I think it was, seventh, seventh or eighth grade, I went to Leffler over here. And about a block and a half away was a bus stop. And I used to take the bus from my school downtown to my dad's office, and then I'd ride home with him. And what I remember was the specific day that I chose to rebel, that I chose to do my own thing. And it was crystal clear before this, I was just a wayward kid who had no place and just bumbled around and did stupid stuff and blah, 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 blah. There was nothing intentional behind it, right? But this particular day, this group of guys who I loosely knew, who I kind of wanted to be friends with came up, they'd been smoking a joint and they gave me the rest. And I took it and I don't think I did anything with it. I think I probably lost it or fell apart or whatever. But that was the day I chose to go the wrong way. That was the day I chose to rebel. And it was so crystal clear. And I sat there in my memory 
on the grass with Mary on one side of me, Jesus on the other side of me and just cried because I was so alone and I just wanted to be a part of something. I just wanted to find my place. And this is where I found it. So then fast forward another month or two and I start working for the church, right? Particularly here in our diocese, if you have a rebellious streak, you're not gonna make it, right? We're very much about obedience and some of those kind of things. And there's not a lot of leeway in certain ways. In other ways there is, but in certain ways there's not. So I start working for the church and my boss in particular um, is very, at the time was very clear cut about some things. Not my boss anymore, very good friend. But there was no way I could be rebellious within that relationship and make it. There's just no way. And over the years I learned how to manage it, right? Like I learned the tactics. So nobody, but probably my wife would know that I was spinning out inside after I had to be obedient to somebody who I didn't feel like I should be or didn't agree with or any number of things that come up in normal life. And I would be interiorly twisted out. I'm talking in knots and I could hold it together out here, but I was a mess inside and it would take me sometimes days or weeks just to get back. I would avoid the person at all costs because I didn't want it to erupt. I've had that happen in my life and it creates wreckage, right? So that was my normal experience. So I had this prayer session. I did that. I come back. Father says something to me and he, what he really did was he forced me to take the things I intuitively knew and tell him why and put it down on paper. Like he made me really think about it, which was a good thing right? Annoying, but good, right? <clears throat> and so what happened was I interacted with him and this happened and all I had was a little pang of like, seriously, dude, do I really have to lay this out for you? Right? And then I did it. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, like that's what freedom is. I don't have this whole disruption to my life anymore into this relationship. <sighs> Right. And to this day, had I not been prayed with that day, I would not be where I'm at or doing what I'm doing. There's just too many things. Right. I can refuse to be discouraged. I can remember that I'm a child of God. I can remember my identity regardless of the circumstances. This is the biggest thing out here is we allow our circumstances and situations and people in our life to speak louder than the truth. We commit idolatry is what it boils down to. If something is determining what we're doing over and above God, it's an idol. Because God's will is the one we're supposed to do. He's the one who's supposed to determine what we do. Not my wife, not my boss, not Susie, not Joe, not them being mean. Like what does them being mean or sinful or anything else have to do with God loving me? What does it have to do with it? Absolutely nothing. What does my dad being an empty cup have to do with God? Absolutely nothing. Other than my dad failed to represent God in my life, which is something that needs to be acknowledged, but it can't be held on to. What does my wife being impatient at times and unkind at times have to do with God? absolutely nothing. It does not change that God loves me and I'm here to love her and vice versa. It has nothing to do with it. All these life experiences we have are pointers to reveal our heart to us. Where are we not fully submitted to God? Where are our wounds? Where are the things that need to be brought forward and dealt with? I had something that needed to be brought forward and dealt with when she, when I didn't have dinner that night. I still felt like I didn't matter. I need Jesus to speak to that more. He can choose to speak to that through her, which he did. She chose me. Oh my gosh. Holy Spirit of Hiroshima. That doesn't mean he's going to use her every day. <laughs> you know, he can use a donkey. He did in the Old Testament. They can use anybody, but he also wants to do this directly. We have to refuse to be discouraged and we have to remember our identity, identity regardless of circumstances. None of this has to do with that. He said, I love you. 
You're important as my son to me, period. In the midst of the mess, in the midst of the chaos, he said that. And he still hangs there saying the same thing. If the mind and the heart are the battlefield, then we need to fill those things with the things of God. We need to fill them with the things of God. Whatever we give attention to is what we'll receive. If I sit and listen to Nine Inch Nails and garbage and all kinds of depressing stuff or angry stuff or whatever else that's my comfort zone, like think about this for a minute. Satan has formed each one of us in a way that's contrary to God. That's our comfort zone. That's our false person, right? We all have something there. Maybe that's a really small part of us. Maybe that's something weak there. Maybe we're judgy and critical. And I don't know, no better, or whatever. Or maybe we're angry. Maybe we're one of those people, you know, whatever it is, we have our thing over here. That's our place of comfort. The world has shaped us into that. The discomfort is putting that to death and coming over here and being who he created us to be. So for me, for a long time, it was hardened. It was shut down. It was mean. People still get scared of me sometimes. My wife continually talks to me about the, the look on my face, how I'm presenting, because apparently I can be scary. Did not know that, right? Which was actually kind of the point of doing this. And it's the blessing today. I can pretty much go anywhere and nobody messes with me or my family. That's great. But there's also a cost to that. I remember going to Hy-Vee one day, and this was years ago, right? When I first became Catholic, I was going to mass every morning at the 8.15. And I was in the frozen foods aisle, and this little girl, she was still in her uniform. It was in the afternoon after school. And she came up and stopped probably about where the altar is from me. And she's like, mommy, mommy, he's at mass every day. And she's like, get over here. Get over here. <laughs> right? Like, there's a cost to that. But even that, does that speak louder than God's love for me? Is that because there's something wrong with me? No, it's not. There's something wrong with her because the child's got no problem with it, right? So we have to fill our mind with things. And there are a set of things where we're comfortable and they're not good for us. And we have to put those things off. So what do we fill our mind with? Is it types of music? Is it types of movies? Is it types of books? Is it, what is it? What's the thing that we use? What's our false thing? And we have to switch and that's really difficult. When I first started reading the scriptures, I was just kind of like, whatever. Like it was really boring to me. It was uninteresting. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't understand what the, heck the narrative was or anything else. Jeff Caven saved my life on that with the Bible timeline, which is a great resource, by the way, to get into the scriptures and understand what's actually happening, right, in context and everything. But we have to fill our mind with new things. I went through a point where I was feeling lonely at home. I felt like I wasn't getting enough attention. And I would whine about it and cry about it and everything else. And then one day I was praying and it occurred to me, hmm, maybe in those times I should just start reading the Bible and talk to God. I've got it on my phone. It's like, okay, well, I'll try it. It's not what I want to do. And I did. And you know what? My wife was having a rough time at that point, distracted, doing other things. And then she switched, right? Because everybody goes up and down. We all have things. I was like, dang it, leave me alone so I can read my Bible. No joke, <laughs> right? I found something there. I was getting fed, but there was the thing, you know what wasn't happening? I wasn't mad anymore. I wasn't upset. I wasn't expecting her to be somewhere she wasn't at, be something she wasn't at that given moment. I was accepting her for where she was and I was adjusting myself to it. Instead of going and listening to certain music and reading other things and da, 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 I was like, you know what? Maybe I should actually do what this says, <laughs> you know, and fill my mind with the things of God. So I did. Seek to have your mind transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what Paul says. 
This is important. God calls out your new self. You know what I never wanted to be? What I ran from all my life is the fact that I'm deeply sensitive. Like I can't get through a Disney movie without crying. I can't. I want to, but I can't. And my kids are like, yeah, okay. Right? Like I just can't. I'm moved. I'll drive down the street and just start sobbing at music or whatever. Like, it's just how I am. I connect with people. I've had times when I'm in prayer sessions with people and I'm like choking it back because I can tell the pain somebody's in. I can feel it, right? I spent my whole life running from that because when I grew up, well, you're gay. You're not a man. You're weak. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, fill in the blank. You know, it was all those kind of things. I couldn't be who I was. That's the big thing life in Christ has done is it's drawn out who I actually am because that's where I'm content and happy is when I actually start stepping into who I really am. And I start living according to that. You know why I wanted a tattoo? Because who do the rock stars look up to? Tattoo artists. Who's the world look up to? Rock stars. Well, that means I'm two steps above y'all. I'm important, right? It's this false thing. But we will become more who we are the more we're in relationship with God. It'll become more and more uncomfortable to maintain that sort of false identity over there. Love sets us free. That's why in relationship with God or another person, we have that space to be who we really are. We can actually relax and be who we are. By freeing God frees you to live reflectively. This is really important to live a discerning life, to pay attention to where God's at, to pay attention to things under the surface. I've come to notice that generally speaking, women are better at this and do easier at this. They read between the lines. We usually read the lines, which is why we don't communicate well, right? They seem to understand the whys and the underneath things a little better than we do. We just understand the things. Sometimes I think there's many more female mystics and it might be because they're made to be receptive, which is what prayer is according to Pope Benedict, right? It's a little harder for us at times, men, especially when we're not raised to be discerning. We're not raised to feel. Men, women ask men all the time, what are you feeling? He's like, I don't know. And he's not lying. That's the thing. He's straight up not lying. He don't know. There are few of us, few of us who have actually been taught to know and articulate what's happening in us. Very few of us. And it takes time. Right. But that's important. It's important to know the heart, to know what's happening in you. Because if you don't know what's happening in here, you can't give it to God. You can't share it. You can't relate it. Right. And if you can't relate it, there will always be a block there to receiving him. We have to avoid introspection. This is really important introspection is when we navel gaze when we start looking inward right we start looking at okay what's wrong with me okay god loves me he healed me on something okay here we go i'm bringing this all to him i want more and we start looking at ourselves what god wants is our eyes on him all the time he doesn't want us ordered to ourselves. So part of living reflectively, the image I would give is this. When I'm looking at God, I'm walking through life, life situation happens. Maybe it hurts. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Lose a job. Something happens in a relationship. Any number of things. Pick a bad thing. Right? What we generally do 
what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Oh my God, here it is. Right? We try to figure it out, parse it out, fix it, manage it, put our, uh, what do you call them? Strategies in place to contain this thing. Dink, whatever it is. That's introspection. See, our help is always in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, verse 8. God will help us. What we do instead is we keep our eyes on God. Okay, I'm experiencing this. If I don't know what I'm experiencing, the question is, Jesus, what am I experiencing here? I don't even know. It's a mess. I'm a mess right now. It's staying locked on him. What is it, Lord? It's revelation for a reason. I'm not going to figure it out on my own outside of divine light and grace. So why make myself tired and upset and frustrated trying to figure something out that I can't figure out on my own? If we just be with him and get quiet with it and let it be there and ask him to show us, it will come. I had an individual come to me who was like, I, I can't pray. It's horrible. I'm having an awful time praying. It's absolutely horrible. And they were deadlocked on this notion because they're a very intellectual person, very smart, very way smarter than me. And, uh, they were deadlocked that God was going to speak to them. God's going to speak to them. He's going to do whatever, right? Remember how I talked about the weightlifter with little toothpick legs? Yeah, this person was weightlifter, a little toothpick body and heart, right? God's going to speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. Like, and at first, I didn't know what to do with the, with the person. I was just like, okay. And then finally, one day, I'm sitting there listening to him, listening to him. Like, well, what are you experiencing in prayer, Right? Well, I go in and I'm anxious and I want to hear from him and da, 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 da. And when I leave, I'm at peace. Right? Months go by every month. Same thing. Same thing. Like, well, he's talking to you. Right? Like instead of talking to you, giving you information, he's actually changing you. <laughs> he's actually entering in. You go in one way, you come out more peaceful, more together. I hear from God and I experience God and I would rather never hear from him again and walk into prayer and come out more peaceful every time. Because that information does not do near as good as the actual impact on my heart in the change and helping me to be who I am, this new creation. My wife does not care about wisdom my kids don't care at all and teach them religion right now. Not that they don't care about God, they love God, but the information, they're like, whatever. They're the first ones to pray. None of them care about that. There's a priest, Henry Nowen, who is a renowned teacher, taught at, I think, Harvard, Yale, some of those things. He eventually went to these large communities, which were communities for developmentally disabled people. And he had a breakdown. You know why? Because none of this mattered there. <laughs> they didn't care. They couldn't understand anything he had. He had to become love. Huge break for him. Huge difficulty. Right? But that's really the point. And there are silent saints in every pew in every church who don't know their faith, but they know the Lord. And they're holy and they love and they'll give, right? So come to him, keep your eyes on him. When you're experiencing something, instead of trying to figure it out, if you're a thinker, an analyzer, any of that, try to put that aside and say, Lord, what's happening here? Please speak to me, I'm here listening. And try to open up and listen. If you don't know what that's like there, take a situation like now, most everybody's listening, right? There's a difference between hearing and listening. I hear 80% of what my wife says. I listen to 65% of it, right? I'm actively engaged to a lot less than what I hear. And that's the difference. Listening is really active engagement. It's attentiveness on the one who's speaking or whatever they're doing. 
and we're actually engaged fully, that's when something actually affects us. I can hear my kids all day chattering in the background, or I can actually focus on them. So maybe sometime when you're in a situation like this or another situation where you're really listening, take a minute to pause and feel what it's like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. How are you when you're listening? How are you? What's it like? Because when it comes to your prayer time, once you know what that's like, you can probably go there in the chapel or in your armchair. There's some places where it's easier to be that way than others. God will continue exposing strongholds in our life. That's what all these bad situations are in life. These things that get us unsettled, rankled up, unrest. Satan means it for one thing. He wants to tear you down, destroy you, break you apart. But God, Satan is God's little laser pointer. It's always the image that comes to mind for me. He's a tool. You're the clay. You're being molded, and Satan's a tool to help mold you. He doesn't think he is, but he is. Right? I could use a potter's knife and either shape this pottery into something beautiful, or I could hack it up and chop it up into pieces. It just depends how it's used. Well, I get to determine how those things impact my life, how they affect me. Do I allow this to be something that God uses to lead me closer to himself? Or do I allow it to be something over and above God that can destroy me and determine my life? I had a friend who died of brain cancer three, almost four years ago. She was a very spiritual person anyway. But when she got brain cancer, she was like saint on steroids, right? I never saw so much peace. I never saw so much beauty. I never saw so much joy ever in my life. Then when she had a surgery and half her eyesight went, she's like, come over, I'll make you breakfast. She was like a mom to me. She'd make me breakfast and stuff and we'd talk. I went over there. I forget which side she couldn't see from, but it was literally like the right half of both eyes she couldn't see from because of the surgery. I was standing on the wrong side and she's just like, are you sneaking up on me? Can you move to the other side? Like it was a joke, you know? There are many people who experience things like that who it absolutely decimates them. It destroys them. It breaks them apart. You know what this was for her? Woo! I love the Lord, but I need to love him better. It's time for me to get going. None of this stuff matters. I need to be with him. And she spent those last few years doing everything she could for her husband, for her boys, for us, other people like me. Right? What the situation was was something that drew her into God. So all these things that happen expose the strongholds. If I've got anger, there usually is a pain there. It's usually a cover emotion. There's usually a wound of some kind there. Fear, or it's fear, one of the two. Fear is fight or flight, right? Fear is a big deal. So if you experience those things, bring them to the Lord. We've got to not be victims. Can't be victimized. I can't say that enough. Our entire culture is a victim identity. There's a whole section of it where the wounds and the pains have defined their very identity of who they are. And everything in the world needs to change and conform to the wound and the pain. We are not the center of the world. Our pain is not the center of the world. It shouldn't be the center of our world either. God is the center and we should all be revolving around him. The pain that I experience, the wounds that I have are obstacles to me being fully revolutionary around him, revolving around him. That's it. We can't give them too much credit. He's given us powerful weapons. Truth is the greatest weapon, the truth. 
I've spent a lot of years meditating on the simple truth that God's my father and I'm his beloved son in so many different capacities. And let that truth rub up against the different things that I experience, the different feelings I have, the different thoughts I have, until it dislodges them. And he'll just stay there and let these truths rub. But if we don't bring the things to him to allow it to rub on there, it'll never happen. There's only one way to resurrection, and it's through the cross. Our culture has taught us to run from pain, run from it. As fast as you can, get away from it. We've got all kinds of pills out there for it. We might even have some weed for it here in the next few months. Like, there's all kinds of things to anesthetize your pain. The only way through it is through it. The only way to resurrection is through it. A decent therapist, what they're going to do is provide a space that you can walk through whatever it is. What does physical therapy do? You'll walk through your dislocated knee that's shattered up and, oh my God, it hurts like, you know what, to even bend it and start to walk. Spiritually, it's the same thing. We have to walk through that stuff. See, God wants way more for us than just to be pain-free. That's like our goal in life is to be pain-free. If I just don't hurt, it's all okay. That's so sad because God wants to do so much more than make us pain-free. The reality is nobody's ever going to be pain-free. We live in a broken, fallen world, and it's just hard, and it's harsh. From a Rocky movie, one of the last ones, there's this little dialogue that Sylvester Stallone gives to his son. I'd Google it, YouTube it. It's all over the place. And he talks about this. It's a really good thing. Like the world will beat you down. It will kill you. It will kick you. It will do anything it can. The question is, is can you get back up? Can you walk through it? Can you move through it? Or do you not? Each one of us is way stronger than what we realize, way more capable than what we realize to get through these things. So truth is a weapon. Daily prayer, listening to God, scripture reading, the sacraments, all these are things that conform us more and more to Christ, that make him more and more the center of our lives. Right? We might have to let go of ideas. You know, a big one for me was, I didn't want to be Jesus crispy. That's what I called it. I didn't want to be one of those Jesus people. And here I am 14 years later, my entire life is wrapped around Jesus. My work, my family, my fun, my spare time, everything. And sometimes that, that rebelliousness kicks up. I'm like, oh my God, Matt, who'd you become? Ooh, you're one of those people now. You know, that's something old that I still have to deal with sometimes. Then I'm listening to Nine Inch Nails and all kinds of stuff. And I realize why I don't do that and why this is really my life. Like this stuff's not easy. We go back and forth. We dip in and out. We come and go. But even all of that, all the mistakes we make, all the dipping, all the sliding. What I talked about the other day with before when I slipped into old behaviors, that didn't mean that I was my old self. What that meant was I had chosen modes of dealing with pain in my life, things I've learned over the years. And as I'm walking ahead, I encountered pain in life and conversion. And I dipped into some of them sometimes. But I was still on the road, still pushing through. Satan cannot take away your healing. This is an important thing. I am fundamentally different than I was 15 years ago. I can't have those wounds again. They're healed. Certain ones, not everything, but a lot of those things are. I'm just not the same person, right? So when I did those things, it didn't do the same thing <laughs> at all. As a matter of fact, you know what I hated about it more than anything? It was a complete counterfeit to prayer. It shut everything down. That's why it deals with PTSD. I had no thoughts outside of right here in the present moment. But it was an isolating, quiet right here. It wasn't 
the quiet stillness of communion and connectedness that prayer is. It was a counterfeit. That's what made me choose to let it go. Because I've experienced this. I want this. I want that. Right? He provides us all these weapons that we need to engage in. We need to live in the light. We need to share honestly with others and have other people pray for us. If you're married, have your spouse pray for you. If you have family, you live with friends and they're faithful and all that, pray for each other. Have people pray for you. Be real about what's happening. And just pray. Just pray. Frequently when I'm talking to teachers or other people like that, they're like, what can we do? Just pray. If you don't know what to do, just pray. Whatever's coming to mind, whatever the person is talking about, ask God to meet him in that. And just pray. And you can be a light to others. I would highly recommend taking a look at Ephesians 6. It's the armor of God. Take a look at that. And then the other thing that I would suggest looking at is Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. When I put Philippians 4, 4 to 9 into actual practice in my life, it changed everything. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So first thing, always be rejoicing. I'm a melancholic, sad man. I don't rejoice about anything. Well, there's rub number one. Matt, you need to start rejoicing. <laughs> you need to change this. Start rejoicing at the things that are happening in your life, the things of God that are happening here and now. So when I started to do that, that was different. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. He's here. I need to forgive because the Lord is here. He's here. He's in me. He's in you. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the intimacy we share with him. It's the being with him. It's the relating. Supplication with thanksgiving is the asking of things, the good things of God asking for what we need, right? With thanksgiving. So Father, please give me your patience. Please give me your kindness for so-and-so. I praise you and thank you for giving it to me over here and here and all the things you blessed me with. Or even better yet, because I have that supernatural disposition that's already ordered me to fulfill God's will, I could say thank you, God, for giving me the patience for this person. Thank you for making me a patient man a kind man, a good man, because that's the truth of who I am, right? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The prayer, the rejoicing, the thanksgiving, all of that keeps our hearts and minds in peace. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Custody of the mind. Do I think about Kenosha all day? Do I think about COVID all day? Do I think about how heavy it is all day? What do I think about? Or do I think about what's true, good, and holy in my life right now? Do I think about all God's done on this retreat? Do I think of the joy of serving? Do I think of the joy of walking out this morning and not starting to sweat, right? Do I keep my mind on these things? Do I think of all God is doing right now in the world in the very specific ways that I know and that I see and that I encounter? What you have learned and received and heard and seen me do in the peace of God will be with you. It's this. So take that, put it into practice and make it a daily thing. It will probably be hard if that's not your normal way of doing things, right? The last thing I'll say, and I'll be quiet. I used to go to a Protestant mega church here in town, Berean. And I remember I was in this Christian leadership college there at the time. And one of the things we had to do was go to an elders meeting, which was the head pastor, the different pastors, and they made all the decisions, kind of like a parish board, right, on everything that was happening. 
You know what struck me when I was there? It was super weird to me, super foreign, right? Every like five minutes, they would just pause and break into prayer and ask God for stuff. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you're really disrupting things. Why don't you just figure this out so we can get on with our day? It was this. They knew fundamentally that they weren't going to figure this out. They brought everything to God in prayer. Something I noticed at you, Mary, when I was up there a while ago. I could go work from eight to eight meeting with people straight with a break for dinner, break for lunch, break for dinner. Otherwise, 10 hours, boom, one person after another. And feel more alive, more spiritually fit when I came home from four days of doing that than my normal life here. And I prayed about that for a long time. And you know what I realized? When I meet with somebody, we start off with a prayer. And then usually at the end, I pray for them based on what I've heard, right? What they've said, what they brought up. Well, if I'm meeting with 12 people in a day, I've got my prayer time. I've got my meals. I've got mass, however long that is. And then I've got 24 other times I'm praying throughout the day, bringing my attention and my awareness to God, one at the beginning and one at the end of every single prayer session. Like for four days straight, my whole mind is ordered towards God. That's it. Everything else just kind of goes. And all of a sudden this piece is there. This piece is there. This is why the church gives us things like ejaculatory prayers, prayers before work, prayers before meal, prayers before everything. It's to turn us there. It's to help us connect. So staying free is not easy. It is a battle and it's for your mind. But if you fill your mind with the things of God, you'll stay there. If you allow the situations that come up as you go out from here to lead you back to God, it can be a life-changing thing. So please know that we're praying for you. Our team is continuing to pray for you. And I hope you had a great weekend.